good morning or afternoon to everyone, wherever you might be. Uh, welcome. As your community matures in solving problems and barriers of poverty, so should your involvement in policy increase. We at AHA Process are thinking more about shaping of policy and know that it is an important part of your poverty initiative as well. If you were with us when Phil and John Begala talked about John's research report, Big City Problems in Ohio's Small Towns, then you know and remember that John extracted the data he needed from the company of Dan Quigg. Today, Dan Quigg is presenting. As you listen to Dan, think about the ways that you can use the pieces of this tool, complementary or fee-based services, to extract the data you need for your initiatives, your grants, your conversations with those local and state politicians. Now, please allow me to introduce you to our presenter, Dan Quigg, Chief Executive Officer of Public Insight. Dan, are you there? I am. Take it away. Hi, all, and uh, thank you for joining us here at this uh, noon hour. Deborah, thanks for the introduction. Um, I know that uh, John Bagala, who uh, I've known uh, a long time and uh, has has worked with us and worked with our, our software from the very beginning. Um, I can't be on the on the webinar, but uh, sends his um, his uh, greetings and uh, and he was in very instrumental in partnering up with us, uh, as well as Phil Duvall, who also unfortunately is stuck in Kansas City. But Deborah, thank you again for hopping in. So uh, we're gonna jump right in. Hopefully um, we'll all learn uh, a fair amount by how we can actually leverage and use, as the title says, taking data up a notch. Uh, and maybe we'll have a little bit of fun in the process as well. So, there are a number of analogies with when it comes to to data, but the one that I like is is we're drowning in data, but we're thirsty for insight, uh, and we see that all the time. The data kind of follows Moore's law, which is it's it's doubling every three years, and yet we we can't get a handle on it. It's really difficult to actually make sense of the data. Um, so. I like, and this is a, a horrible analogy to use at noontime. Um, unfortunately, uh, it seems to be the, the analogy that people most resonate with, and that is the concept of a data cake. Uh, so if we think about really data in the context of wanting to get information, and that's why I like to use the cake, because it's the actual finished product that we're actually looking for. and what we end up with is what I call ingredients or data. So uh, we get a little bit of applesauce. Um, by the way, that cake on the right is my favorite cake. That's why I use it. And it's really bad thing to use right at noontime here. But on the left-hand side is really what agencies serve us up is they serve us up the raw ingredients. So the two cups of applesauce, the two eggs, the one and a half cups of raisins. But that's not what we want. What we want is the actual finished data cake. So it's up for us, it's up to us to actually take that and turn it into that finished cake on the on the right. Um, we all know that agency data is complex and fragmented. Uh, this is typically what we get. Um, these are actually real data sources, the one on the right coming from census, the one on the top is education data, the one on the left is also education data. 
So this is what we get. Um, now, the, the way that uh, government agencies try to solve that problem is to give you more of the same. Um, I applaud uh, when President Obama took office, he, he rolled out uh, his, uh, his uh, chief technology officer rolled out data.gov, which is the home of US government's open data. Uh, and you could see from the, uh, the homepage that you can search over 197,000 data sets. Uh, and um, I actually was on the uh, Open Data Advisory Committee to the state of Ohio, and they said, you know, we need to pattern ourselves after these transparency data sites. Uh, and my question was simple. Have we ever looked at what the website traffic is of these transparency websites? Uh, and as a matter of fact, there are tools that allow us to do that. Um, so using Alexa, I looked at what the actual popularity was of data.gov. There was 197,000 data sets that you saw there, and its rank was 43,639 uh, globally and 111,499 in the U.S. Now, if we thought that we could solve the world's problems through making data available, we would think the rankings would be a little better than 11,499. Um, and we also find that Alexa tells us um, what, the, what the actual profile is of the users that look at it. And we find that it really tends to be uh, white PhD level researchers, not that there's anything wrong with that. So I was looking at a comparison uh, because context, as we know, is critical when it comes to data. And um, being a long suffering football fan in Ohio, I said, well, let's look at the Cleveland Browns website uh, coming off a one and now 22, um, the last uh, 23 games or so, and I was hoping they'd win, so maybe I could say we're two and 22. But our U.S. traffic uh, is actually greater than all of data.gov. So even with a um, one and 22 football team, we still have a higher popularity than data.gov, and and you certainly don't have to be educated. To, to be able to use, uh, to, to access the Cleveland Browns uh, website. So transparency sites don't work because it's simple. We don't, what we don't want is data, what we want is the cake. So what we've tried to do uh, is, to, is to pull together into a common data catalog. Just like if you walk into the library, you don't just see a pile of books on the floor that says books or periodicals. What you want really is you want something that is laid out in a way that's structured and easy to put together. And that's what uh, we've done at Public Insight. That was always our mission is to put data in a way together that actually allows you to use it most effectively. And that's a concept of a catalog, having data that actually comes together in a way that makes sense. Um, just like you go into a library, you know, the the catalog system has been in place for years and years because it works, because now you have ways of actually looking at data the same way, regardless of where it comes from. So our, our business model um, is, is such that uh, we, we believe that public data uh, should be free. And so we've provided from day one, we've provided a tool to be able to actually go and browse that data in our system for free I'm going to show you examples of that in a moment. Uh, so you can go in, you can actually browse the data. 
Um, and we have about uh, uh, 10 billion data points right now in our, in our catalog and constantly growing. We get new requests all the time. Uh, and we have about 2,000 registered users of public insight to just go, to go in and browse data. And I'm hoping at a minimum that the folks on this webinar will take advantage of that and use uh, public insight to be able to just browse data. We then provide, and, and the analogy uh, using our cake analogy is we call that the taste sample. Uh, so if you go into Costco, they give you a little bite of something, that's, that's what you're able to do. You're able to go out and browse any, any of the data that we have. Uh, and then we provide extraction tools that we'll call that the recipe, which allows you to construct whatever cake that you want to produce. So on the left-hand side, we call that on-demand content, where we're able to pull together the pieces that you want uh, to make a data cake. And then on the right-hand side is this whole area, emerging area called self-service business intelligence. So whereas the left side are really more producer, the right side is probably a lot of this audience, which is self-service business intelligence, which is how I want to actually construct my own stories or my own cake in this example. Um, and the beauty of self-service business intelligence is Microsoft and others have gotten into this space in a way that really makes the tools not only much less expensive, but also, um, but also highly interactive, which is why we call them interactive. So in this case, we're actually applying the visualization on top of the data to make it optimally usable. And in our cake analogy, we might call that um, the store-bought cake is what we put together in terms of interactives. And then uh, I like to call anti-special cake, which is you know, if there's a particular set of interact interactions or interactives that you're interested in, we can build those um, working with you. So we call that anti-special cake. Uh, I'm not going to go through uh, the self-service business intelligence, but suffice to say that this particular area is um, is really growing uh, rapidly, um, and it's really geared towards non-technical users. And we're going to see some examples of that in a minute. Um, here, here actually is a screenshot of one interactive, which we're going to actually show you, um, which looks at uh, various, uh, this is county health rankings. We're going to use that as one of our examples uh, and how we're actually able to leverage the data to, to make that come together. So let, let's go ahead and jump right into uh, a couple of examples. Um, when I was uh, talking to Phil before uh, we got together on this uh, to talk about this webinar, uh, he mentioned uh, Dr. Waller's uh, national study of getting ahead uh, and in that particular study cited um, some barriers that were self-identified barriers to getting ahead. And we were just running through these and said, okay, if we were to pick a couple that we might look at, which ones might we pick and how might we show them? So we picked two. Uh, we're gonna show you examples of, uh, of these two. So the first one being isolation and what we're trying to do now is connect data to a story. So trying to connect those raw ingredients that we talked about in the cake to the finished cake. So first thing we have to do then is, so isolation, well, what is isolation? Uh, and at least one definition that 
applies to isolation was a lack of social association. So this is what county health rankings defined as a uh, as one element potentially of isolation. So then we got to take that a step further. So what is a social association? Uh, it's an organization with memberships. And then you take that a step further, which organizations have memberships? And at least again, according to uh, county health rankings, those that are uh, associations with memberships are civic organizations. Uh, I never thought that bowling centers were associations, but I guess they are uh, golf clubs, fitness centers, sports, and so forth. Uh, and then they actually define a metric called a membership association per 10,000 population. So let's go ahead and, and show you how we can go and just look and browse data within the Public Insight platform uh, very quickly and easily. Okay, so I just pulled out somewhat randomly two uh, counties, and, and when we look at data, we can look at data down to uh, zip code level with a plan to go down to block group and census track level. So right now, we just, we're just gonna look at three counties side by side. And what we're trying to find now is we're looking at isolation as a variable. Now, in Public Insight, uh, one thing that you, place you can start, this is our tool here called Data Browser. Uh, so it is completely free, um, no strings attached. Uh, there's, as I said, about 10 billion data points, but again, you have to have a catalog to go out and browse this data. So let's say we have no idea what data we might have that relates to isolation uh, we mentioned county health rankings, so I'm just going to type the word social in here as one proxy and just click search. And it gives me 124 ways that social is used. Now, sometimes it's just in terms of social characteristics. Uh, so, for example, if I go down to household income, it has with Social Security. That doesn't fit for us. But as I browse down... Uh, I find a couple here that might be interesting. So for example, this says during the past 30 days, what extent has your arthritis? Um, so that's like a health question, but here's one that says social associations and it's under that county health rankings measure that we looked at. So we're gonna go ahead and launch that. So I'm just gonna click it and we go ahead and we find it for you. So we now know that this is from uh, University of Wisconsin County Health Rankings. The series is social associations and the metric is number of membership associations per 10,000 population. Now these are three very distinctly different size counties. We have Cuyahoga County where I live, um, St. Lucie County, Florida, uh, which is also a good sized county and then Little Wabash County, Illinois. Uh, and it actually has uh, 23.4 membership associations per 10,000. Now, context is everything. So we're looking at three different counties that, uh, you know, three very distinctly different counties. Uh, and so let's take another step up to see how Wabash's, Wabash County's membership associations compare to other like counties. So we get into this more of this concept of benchmarking and how we might look at 
Wabash County compared to other like counties. And clearly Cuyahoga County probably is not a good comparative county. So here's where we're gonna use the technology to make this um, to make this really pop. So what I brought up here is an interactive that we built. So interactives are a, a paid service. Um, so where's data browsers free? County health rankings is also free data, but we've now packaged it in a way that provides maximum utility. Um, and what I've done is, is I've tried to find counties that were like Wabash County. So, and we could do that any number of ways. Uh, the way that I did it here, as I said, my comparison county is Wabash. And what I wanna look at is I wanna look at counties that have a uh, average income of between 40 and 50,000, which is what Wabash is, and a population of between 10 and 20,000. So I put some filters on that to be able to locate comparative counties. And I got a list of, uh, let's see, got a list of 116 counties that, that fit that criteria. Uh, and now, instead of having to go look for what I want, I'm gonna go ahead and click on social associations, which is these are the 37 measures that County Health Rankings uses uh, as drivers of, of the health rankings. And we see a little measure detail here that says number of membership associations. And here we have now the 116 counties and how Wabash County compares to that. So we can see that the average of the 116 counties over the trailing three years, Wabash County has consistently had a higher number of uh, social associations compared to the benchmark counties, which are the 116. We can also see visually over the last three years where that sits. So as I go down through the list, uh, the gray is a, tells me that it's a higher ranking. The, the lighter blue tells me it's a lower ranking. Now this is done purposely because some of these low is good. Some of this, these lowest is bad. Uh, so it just depends on the metric. So we can see Wabash is again, like kind of a, like a light gray here, which tells us that it is kind of in the middle to up of the, the range uh, of, the, of the group. So this is just one example. So data browser, we looked at the rankings themselves uh, in data browser, browse the data, and then we brought it up in a uh, in these interactives and are able to look at things from a 30,000 foot view very rapidly. So let's go ahead and take a look at one other example. Okay, so we looked at isolation as an example. Let's look at another one, um, unstable work environments. So the first question really is, you know, again, we're going to try to connect the dots. And this is just one way there could be any number of ways that we might want to connect the dots to an unstable work environment. Um, the first one is, so we've defined one way of doing that as unstable work environment are freelancers. Uh, so freelancers, or sometimes we might hear the term underemployment, um, but freelancers are those that, in, whether purposely or not purposely, are ones that are working and not uh, it, generally not employing people. So the way that we've defined it, freelancers are individuals or organizations that do not employ any professionals. Well, the good news is 
the U.S. Economic Census gives us that data. They give us non-employer statistics in the form of uh, both establishments and receipts. So the census defines it as a non-employer firm is defined as one that has no paid employees, business receipts of 1,000 or more, uh, or a dollar or more in the construction and is subject to federal income taxes. So let's take a look at another way that we can look at this data. Uh, and so we're gonna use the US Economic Census as an example. Okay, again, um, I've, I've got Cuyahoga County, um, St. and hopefully I don't butcher that, St. Lucie County, Florida, um, and Wabash County, Illinois, the three counties, very, very different sized counties. Uh, and what I've got here now is the, uh, the, the gross receipts for non-employer. Now here's a, here's a case where we probably want some time context. So before we looked at more of, from a benchmark standpoint, we looked at how a county might compare to another county, but time is always a critical um, area of context. Uh, one of the things that's been a, a pet peeve of mine with agency websites is they give you data one year at a time or one quarter at a time, and you lose all the context by not having the data contextually over time. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at these three counties, but we're going to look at them time-trended. So here in Data Browser, we have a little tool called, uh, we have a line graph tool. And now we have Cuyahoga County way up here. So this is looking at uh, non-employer statistics over the last uh, 14 years. Uh, I'm sorry, non-employer receipts over the last 14 years. And we got Cuyahoga County kind of dwarfing the other. So what we're going to do is we're going to turn that off for a second. And then we're also going to turn off Wabash County. And let's focus in on St. Lucie County. And we could see a trend here that non-employer receipts dramatically went up to 2005, kind of flattened out, and then came down right before really we saw the impacts of the Great Recession, and then has been slowly climbing back up to where it's now way, it's almost double where it was in 2002. So here's telling us a trend over the last 15 years of gross receipts in, non-employer receipts in St. Lucie County. Um, and we may want again, get some further context. So this is all done here in data browser. Uh, and the way I did that, just so we can, you can kind of trace where I was, is I just browsed the data. So I said, I want US Census Business Register. I want non-employer statistics. I want receipts and I want uh, receipts as a series. So this is our catalog that I referred to earlier that just allows you to browse the data. Um, and when John Bagala did his research, much of what he did was done just using a data browser and just pulling out data because you can't actually export this data out. You can export images out uh, and, and get the information you need. So now we're gonna, we wanna ask the question now is, okay, so we know that St. Lucie County has had increases in receipts. Well, what, what makes that up? So we wanna know what industries or what, uh, what industries make that up? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna pull up an interactive based on the 
business patterns data, which is the data that came from the census. Uh, and we're going to look at how we can, again, make this data pop. So I'm going to make this full screen again. Um, we're actually doing some uh, improvements to this particular interactive. Uh, but what I've got up here is St. Lucie County. And, and what I'm looking at now is I want to see, well, which establishments are resulting in the increase to uh, the non-employer receipts. And there are a number of, of um, industries that we have listed here. There were a couple outliers there that I wanted to eliminate. So as we, this is St. Lucie County non-employer receipts. Uh, and what we're doing is we're looking at here at the receipts ranked by the sector, the uh, uh, NAICS code that makes it up. So we could see that personal care service services is by far the highest amount of uh, non-employer receipts in St. Lucie County. Now, I'm a big fan of tree maps. Um, I think tree maps are phenomenal because they can tell you shape through shape, through color, through words. Uh, and what we've done here is we've color-coded these industries according to growth. So if it's in a dark blue, it's actually a growing industry. If it's in a light yellow or orange, it's actually in a declining industry. So we can see that personal care aids, even though it's the top in terms of number of receipts, is actually not as growing as rapidly as <laughs> spectator sports uh, or uh, foundation structure and building exterior contractors or restaurants or civil engineering. So the size indicates the proportional amount of gross receipts, but the color indicates whether it's growing or shrinking. So that's, again, another example how we've, we've done some very simple things in Data Browser. It's given us some good perspective, but now we're kind of taking the, the lens back a little bit further and looking at it from a macro view with a goal of getting some real insights. So just to summarize, and, um, and then we'll have some good time for, for questions, uh, interactives are creating stories from the data. Uh, so being able to actually take the data and make it optimally usable. Uh, and what, what Public Insight is doing is we're, we're treating interactives like a library service. Uh, so just as if you go to, to get uh, research and be able to drive research, we're pulling together a whole bunch of interactives as a subscription service. Uh, we've been doing this in higher education now for several years. We have about 600 colleges that use our software, uh, a number of, of subscribers into interactives. Uh, we also have a hospital benchmarking service that we've done. But what we're rolling out here over the rest of this year is what we call community interactives, which is you know, tailor-made to this type of audience where we're taking the data and we're putting it into these buckets and then allowing you to, again, drill into this data, much like we just did with the um, social associations and with the business patterns or the uh, non-employer receipts. And we've got four buckets of interactives that are planned, uh, health, education, economic, and social. And you'll be able to subscribe to these. These are not out yet. Uh, we plan on having these out by the end of the year. Uh, we, we tend to price these things so that they're very affordable, so they'll be in the sub-1,000 range. 
uh, for each of these buckets. Um, and again, trying to get people to use the data that's out there. A um, good example is uh, probably most people don't know that the U.S. Department of Agriculture just released the uh, Food Environment Atlas. So there's all sorts of new data out there about restaurant availability, um, SNAP benefits. Um, uh, you know, there's there's data on uh, farmers markets. Uh, I was just going through that before getting on the um, on the call here, and there's just a host of new of data that is again under tapped because it sits in these agency sites. So. Um, I'm going to stop there. Uh, we've got some time for questions. Uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, and question. So first question, asking if you could explain the difference between employee and non-employer receipts. Sure. So, um, and this is just the way that uh, this census has defined it. Uh, so they've, they've broken uh, the the organizational data into two buckets, those that have employees and those that don't. Uh, and so they, in the uh, organizations that have employees, they provide, and I'm going by memory here, they, they provide established number of establishments, uh, number of uh, or amount of payroll and number of employees. But how do you now measure the, the thousands and thousands of organizations out there that don't employ anybody, um, you know, independent contractors and so forth. Um, and that's where they use receipts rather than payroll. So you're kind of comparing to apples and oranges or apples and apples. You're comparing, you know, receipts as a, as a barometer of, of these independent contractors to payroll, which is a measure of organizations that actually uh, employ people. Um, I didn't make that up. That's how the census defines it. And um, so hopefully that answers your question. Okay, I see the uh, question from Terry. Please describe the health composites planned interactive. Um, great question. Thank you, Terry, for that, that question. So um, when I refer to health composites, and that's that's my term, and it's probably not the best term, is there's a number of services uh, and studies that are done uh, that measure not only health outcomes, health behaviors, but also measure social determinants of health. Uh, the ones that we have already in our system, so you can look at these in our data browser, are CDC 500. Uh, so um, what CDC 500, and I'm going to resist the urge to go into detail on this question, because it's my nature to go into the, the gory detail, but uh, so I'll, I'll try to resist that urge. But CDC 500 looks at, I think it's something like 27 factors. It primarily comes from the behavioral risk surveillance system, which is that Burfus data. That's um, so they took that and they they did some small area estimates and allocated it down to or disaggregated it down to uh, the city and the block group level. So the CDC 500 is one example county health rankings that we um, that we just looked at um, is another example. I think there's something like 37 rankings in county health rankings. We also have that in our system, as you saw. Uh, Commonwealth Fund is another one. Uh, Dartmouth is another one. So these are, these are um, I call them composites because they're really trying to blend health behavior, health outcomes, social determinants of health together. Uh, and so we, 
we'll, we incorporate into Public Insight both secondary and primary data sources. And so that's really a secondary set of data sources that we've brought into Public Insight because they've already gone through the heavy lifting of putting together these composite indicators. Okay, I got a question from um, Tom. How is this more easily accessed data usable to impact local and state policy? Well, that's where, uh, you know, folks like, you know, John Bagala, um, uh, we've, we've done projects where uh, people basically take the data and they create these stories, which then um, go through and, and is used for policy. I, I, I had an example that just popped into my mind. So we helped an organization called uh, Nochi here in Northeast Ohio. Uh, and it's uh, Northeast Ohio Council for Higher Education. And, and as we were going through trying to analyze the data, we found that Northeast Ohio had a disproportionate number of, um, and I'm gonna forget the, the word here, but it's, it's basically high schoolers that were going and getting college education um, they call it, uh, I'll say dual enrollment, I think that's it, where uh, students are going and they're getting, they're, they're taking college courses and it's a subsidized, uh, it's subsidized by the state. So what we found is that there was a disproportionate number of dual enrollment in uh, the 23 counties in Northeast Ohio and the education institutions. And they used that, they, they called it, when we first did it, they, they called it a, a $3 million idea because you know, there was a lot of potential value associated with determining that there was that disproportionate number of dual enrollment. So again, there's many other examples. Again, I know uh, some of the studies that John did, um, you know, we're using a whole bunch of different data sources to, to again, prove a point or series of points, um, you know, it's really, it's, it's my job to help take the data and make it optimally usable to you. It's, I, I hope that a number of on this webinar will see ways that they can use this to present policy probably a lot better than I could try to frame it. Again, Tom, I hope that answers that question. Um, just a couple examples that, that came to mind. Um, okay, another question from Terry, this seems unique in the blending of disparate data and your tracking and integrating new releases of data. Is it unique? Um, we like, of course, to think it is, but, uh, you know, there are other um, organizations out there that have done similar things and are doing similar things. Uh, I'll just mention a couple of them because, uh, and I could tell you why I think we're unique. Um, another one out there called Policy Map that you may have seen um, used by a number of organizations uh, very been around a long time. Uh, another one called um, Live Stories. Uh, so these are these are great organizations that have done similar things. The thing that we think that we do uniquely is this uh, we call it on demand, the on demand putting together of data. Um, so we don't deal in the world of of just giving you data. We, we again like to use the idea of baking a data cake and there could be any unlimited number of ways that you might make a data cake. And so what our goal is to really present you a way that you can make whatever data cake you want. 
And um, I think we do that really uniquely in a way that I haven't seen. Um, but there are other people that have integrated data together, and I mentioned a couple of them. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, I like to to um, to do the, the next steps, and I, I should have brought this up earlier. So there's there's really five potential action items here. One is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, register for data browser and other free stuff, I call it. So, uh, you know, it's completely free. Uh, we have, as I said, about 10 billion data points. Um, and then browse the data catalog. Uh, I just showed you one little widget way of where you could type a keyword in. Um, there's all sorts of, it's intoxicating for people that love browsing data like myself. We have a weekly content e-newsletter that um, we, we have both an education and a health uh, component in these newsletters. So we have, uh, and we're gonna be coming out with a third one, as I mentioned, tied to the community interactives that looks at um, community specific indicators and data. Uh, that one will be coming out before the end of the year. So those three e-newsletters sign up. Uh, and then of course, so, you know, please sign up for a personal demonstration discussion. Obviously with a uh, webinar like this, you know, we can't hit anybody's unique angle that they're coming at it, but we'd be happy to talk further. Um, I did have another question. Um, what data is on the horizon that you anticipate integrating that will be highly valuable to users? Is there a way to know what's coming up? Well, uh, let me take that, I guess, from two, two vantage points. One is data is always coming out, new data, updated data. Uh, there's, so a, a couple thing, couple things pop to mind. Uh, one is this whole area, as we know, of healthcare is getting more and more open. So it's hard to know everything that, that might pop in, but there's always new things that come out literally every month in the whole healthcare data side of things. Um, and uh, one of the things that we've done with the healthcare data that I didn't talk about is a lot of the healthcare data that comes out from uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid is very provider centric. So what I mean by that is, you know, we have hospital, doctor. Uh, what we've done with that data is we've regionalized it. So we know the zip code that the hospital's in. We know the zip code that the nursing home's in. So what we've done is we've regionalized all that data um, and that'll be part of our community interactives in our community, you know, the way that we present the data. Uh, so I would look for a lot of just ways of taking data that's looking one way and turning it around to another way. Uh, I know we're all looking forward to the 2020 census. Uh, and, you know, although I'm hearing it's grossly underfunded, so who knows what's going to happen there. But um, it's, uh, it's going to be intriguing what comes out um, on that side. So... I'm not sure I did justice to that question, but I, I I gave it my best shot. If I were had crystal ball, I'd love to. I'd love to. Do. Um, oh, good question uh, again from Terry. Thanks, Terry, for the questions. Can you integrate private data? Um, yes, we can. Can absolutely um, integrate private data, uh, and in fact, we're doing that on uh, a number of 
uh, situations where we could take data and bring it into uh, and merge it in with public data. We preserve the privacy of the data uh, as well as make it again all work with the public data. This is Deborah uh, from my end of AHA process. I want to take a couple of seconds to say thank you, Dan. Uh, I know everyone has uh, enjoyed your time and the information. So uh, I want to say thank you. My pleasure. Thank you.